Dear Lord, thank you that we can gather in your name and open the scriptures and help each other as we learn and search the scriptures to see if what's true and what you've said. Give us wisdom and understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. I was reading in Genesis a few weeks ago, and I realized that there's a promise in Genesis 8 that's pertinent to all of the hysteria about global warming. And today we're going to cover from a worldview perspective about how God is ruling over history and what promises he's made and how they're pertinent to the gospel and what will happen between now and the end of the age. So that's going to be what we deal with today. So you may want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8 and uh, we'll do a little walk through Genesis here and try to understand what God said. It's very, very important that we know what God said. Now, this is after the flood. Now, remember, we've been talking about the worldview of the gods, the worldview, the divine council, the, the beings that God judged through the flood that had come down uh, and behaved wickedly. So that was been on the table. We looked at the different Psalms in the New Testament. We've covered this. But I want to go back to the Genesis. We started in Genesis. I want to go back there again. Now we're in Genesis 8, which is after the flood. And Noah makes an offering to Yahweh. And then God is pleased with the offering and then makes a promise. Genesis 8, I'm citing from Lexham, English Bible, verses 21, 22. And Yahweh smelled the soothing fragrance. And Yahweh said to himself, Never again will I curse the ground for the sake of humankind because the inclination of the heart of humankind is evil from his youth, nor will I ever again destroy all life as I have done. As, now look at this. As long as the earth endures, seed and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. That's a direct promise from God that's in the Bible. All right? And what furthermore is promised is that God will not flood the earth. That's in Genesis 9. Look at that. I remember when I wrote an article some years ago about this uh, global warming theory that doesn't really add up that it can't be a sin to create carbon dioxide because Noah had just done so by making a bird offering and God liked it. So I do everything that I do in my mind. I really have to think about binding and loosing. What is God forbid, uh, forbidden and what does he give us liberty and what is it, does he command? And so if it's a sin to burn or to create carbon dioxide, the Bible needs to tell us that. If it's not a sin, we don't have to go around feeling guilty about doing what God never said was a sin. And I'm telling you right now, the people who hate God and don't listen to the gospel are not allowed to define sin for the Christian. Amen. 
I will not listen to pagans telling me what sin is or sin isn't. God does that. Now, here's what we're reading. Now, I'm going to quote Victor Hamilton, who has a great commentary on Genesis. And he says this, It is possible to retain the causal nuance of key and observe here not a contradiction, but a vivid demonstration of God's grace. In spite of a justifiable motivation for continued judgment, notice it still says humankind is still evil, right? The the intent of their heart is always evil. Despite all the evil, it's still there. Okay, back to uh, Hamilton. God chooses not to exercise that option. Okay, so he could judge like he did with the flood, but he chooses not to. Okay, back to Hamilton. No longer will man be treated as under a curse, although we know there's a basic curse, but not one that will wipe out life. The power of the divine curse of 317 is significantly canceled, yet there is no evidence that phenomena associated with the curse in 317, such as pain in childbirth or hard work or unyielding soil, come to an abrupt end in post-flood days. So what Hamilton is saying is that God's not going to wipe out all of life because there's always evil in man's heart, even though there is. But will we be under the same uh, statement that was in Genesis 3.17? There's going to be sweat of the brow, thorns are going to grow, pain in childbirth. So there is a curse, and we do need a redeemer, but God's not going to wipe out all of life. What I'm going to show you today that God is that God has a reason for his statement to after the flood for humans to fill the earth. What I want to show you is that the reason God allows life to go on despite all the sin, promises summer and winter, there's going to be seasons, there's going to be a harvest, even though there's going to be droughts and local floods and times when things are difficult. We'll still have harvest, we'll still have food. And why will life flourish on the earth? I'm going to show you today from Scripture that as people fill the earth, from amongst all those people, God is choosing out his elect who will populate the eternal state of affairs and will forever be with God and forever serve him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so what's going on now? Why God allows life to go on and humans to prosper on the earth as far as how many humans there are is so that heaven is going to be filled with redeemed people from every tribe and tongue. And so the pagans are the ones that don't want life on the earth. Human life, that is. And I found some material where they're uh, just radically wanting to stop people from having children and from living on the earth and radical abortion, everything. They, they, don't, they hate human beings. Why? Because we're creating God's image, other than a few elite who agree with them. Yes. <clears throat> When we use the term global warming, I think we have to differentiate between, you know, the scientific view of do, 
do people know how to read their thermometers and can they come up with what the average temperature is for the past year? I don't think we're denying that at all. What we're, what we're saying is, what is the significance? Is there any significance in the fact that the temperature has gone up a little bit? Is that something that we need to... Okay. I mean, then it gets into this whole climate change thing that you're talking about. Uh, yes, they changed it because there was a period uh, where there was a the so-called global... By the way, there's no thermometer that you can stick somewhere in the globe and you end up with a temperature. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's... All right. But uh, that being <laughs> said... <laughs> Is that how I wanted to say that? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the fact is, what's promised is that Earth will be habitable and that people can multiply on it. Right. And that there'll be seed time and harvest. No one knows for sure that if there is more heat worldwide, that it'll be worse or better. Right. It's not, in fact, no, what, what I'm saying is the, the earth has always gone through fluctuated. cycles. It goes up a little, it goes down. Right, it fluctuated. And, and so we see it go up a little and we get hysterical about it. And that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, a warmer earth most likely will support more life. And the colder it is, the bigger part of the earth will not support seed time and harvest. And so if you go back to a glacial age where the glaciers come way down and cover a bigger chunk of the globe, you're going to have less seed time and harvest and a smaller global population. A warmer earth typically will support more life because of, for one thing, uh, I've been studying this also. There's a great book, best one I've read yet, called The Climate, Climate Chronicles by Joe Bastardi. I've seen him on TV. He has been writing blogs, and in the book, he has dated blogs that he wrote when all this hysteria was going on, and he's been proven right again and again and again because he's actually forecasting based on things that are significant on the earth. What are the most significant things that affect the weather and slash climate, say, in the United States. Well, the number one most significant thing for the whole planet is always the same, the sun. They haven't figured out how to make us feel guilty about what the sun does. But if they can figure it out, they'll add that one to it, too. You evil Christians, look at the sun. Okay, they can't, they can't do anything about it, so they don't want to talk about that. The number two, the oceans... The amount of energy, heat energy, that's stored on the Earth is the biggest factor is oceans. Number three, water vapor. Okay? And this particular scientist is pointing out something which I've said long, for a long time, because I say this at Iowa State, the factor if you take out the sun, which is going to do whatever it does, is water vapor. That's the, if you want to talk about greenhouse gas, water vapor dwarfs everything else. 
that's there. Far and away is water vapor. Well, they don't want to talk about that either. And so, according to this scientist, carbon dioxide, the only thing they care about, like there's some little dial we could turn, is one four hundredth of the factor as far as the temperatures on the Earth. One four hundredth. That is the science part of it. My concern is the promise of God. And why will life continue to inhabit the earth, population growing? Why is it like that? According to Genesis, that says here, nor will I ever again destroy all life as I've done, as long as the earth endures, seed and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. That's the promise of God. I don't care what some of these goofballs like Al Gore have to say. It's not even rational. Okay? Okay, there will be a judgment. And I'm going to show you that. I've got to keep moving so I get to it. There will be a judgment, but it'll be by fire, and it'll be after Daniel's 70th week and, and, and so on, and after the millennium. All right, so there we go. So some more from Hamilton. This verse functions as a ringing testimony to the mercy of God who henceforth will not give man his just deserts. The punishable will not be punished. On the contrary, there will be a return to regularity and predictability in the world of nature. Seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night, are the four couplets testifying to the resurrection of predictability in the world. I'll stop with the quote there. This doesn't mean there won't be a drought different places, because that's part of the curse. That thistles won't grow. It's part of the curse. That there won't be pain in childbirth. But that the earth will be habitable, that there will be harvests, and that people will eat. As a matter of fact, that is happening. Despite all the crazy alarmists, that's happening. For the first time in my lifetime, in recent years, childhood obesity is far more prevalent than starvation. In fact, childhood obesity is one of the biggest problems worldwide. There's more food than we need. We've had wheat harvests year after year in the last decade that have set new records, how much wheat there is to eat. And another fact, scientifically, is that carbon dioxide actually does promote a green earth. Plants flourish with a slightly elevated level. Harvests are greater. The growth rate is greater. And it's not a greenhouse gas in a sense. Greenhouses run out of carbon dioxide. And they have to, it has to be pumped in. So the, that's a lying metaphor to start with. Why should Christians be deceived? We don't have to be deceived by these people. We can think rationally. That's right. And carbon dioxide makes the earth greener. The thing that makes a greenhouse work isn't the fact that it's full of carbon dioxide. It's the fact there's a vapor barrier that allows the heat to come through, but the water vapor not to get out. And so if you go into a greenhouse, it's full of humidity. It's warm and it's humid. 
But it, left to itself, it starts lacking carbon dioxide because the plants are using it. It's getting more oxygen and less carbon dioxide. And so they, they used to put the exhaust from like propane heaters and stuff pumped into the greenhouse to get more in there. Now they can accumulate it right out of the air like oxygen and so on, whatever they need. So you need more carbon dioxide. So what's happening is thing, the earth is getting greener and the grasslands are getting greater, especially grasslands, and the weed harvest is, just keeps setting records, even though here and there there's a drought or flood, which has always been the case. Let's keep going. So that's the world before future judgment. There will be harvest and there will be humans on the earth. Now, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11. When will that finally change? When will the Genesis 8 situation become something different? 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and, when the, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Let me give you some basics again as we're building a Christian worldview. This is essential. That's what we just laid out in two slides here. History begins with creation. The flood's a big event. The fall's a big event. But from the flood on, we're in the same era, generally, as far as just the earth. It's not going to flood. We have the rainbow. And there will be seed time and harvest. It begins with creation. It ends with judgment. History ends with judgment. And the hysteria that's promoted by people in the media changes in my lifetime. Because when I was younger, the hysteria was all of life will be wiped out with a global nuclear holocaust. Am I the only one who remembers that? No. That was our biggest fear. I remember being in class where they'd, we'd have drills where we'd practice going down to the fallout shelter. We had big barrels of stuff in case we had to go hide in the fallout shelter we had some food in there that was the civil defense had provided and we were told what to do I remember sitting at the table with my dad mom and uh, some little brothers and when the thing happened uh, with President Kennedy standing up to the Russians and, and it looked like we are going to have a nuclear war my dad said to us this may be it and it was in 1962 I was there. I remember that. I remember the Paul shelters. I remember that we've got enough atomic bombs to wipe out all life on Earth ten times over, or whatever they said. And we and that was a real thing. It was that people feared, and then that faded into people's away from people's fears and their consciousness. And then the problem was overpopulation. We're going to have overpopulation. We're not going to be able to feed everybody. And we need to have population control. And so then the brave new world kind of kicked into gear and abortion became legal and we got we to stop people from having children. 
And that's still going on. And then they dreamed up this whole thing that carbon dioxide is bad. And it's going to end life on Earth as we know it because of carbon dioxide, even though it's essential for life that we have carbon dioxide. And so that fear eclipsed any worry about a nuclear holocaust that will wipe out all of life. Now it's going to be wiped out because Florida is going to be under the ocean. Is that a good thing? Well, who said that? Where are they going to go for spring break? Okay, go ahead with the mic here. Um, don't forget they, where there was hysteria in the 70s about a new ice age, too. New ice age, yes. We were going to have a new ice age and there wouldn't be enough food. Dear saints, aren't we going to be better off as Christians if we simply believe the promise of God? Believe the promise. There's going to be summer and winter, day and night, seed time and harvest. But we're still going to have to pull out the thistles. We're still going to have to work by the sweat of our brow. But we'll still survive. And we've gotten good at surviving because there's many more billions of people on the earth now than anybody thought could ever live on this earth. And they're doing so. So population isn't the problem. So Ice Age, yeah, good reminder. Nuclear Holocaust, Ice Age, global warming, overpopulation. There's all these things everybody fears. But what they're not fearing is what they should fear. The wrath of God. What wiped out life before was God sending the flood. But he promised he won't do that again. We have a covenant sign that he won't. That's the rainbow. Okay, so... This is talking about the very end. Now, I may ask Eric to comment on this. Um, otherwise, I'll just do it myself. But you might ask, why does it say like a thief when we would associate that with the rapture? And this is talking about the very end. Do you want to comment or do you want me to just go ahead? Go ahead. You know more about the end times than I do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when he says it comes like a thief. So here, Peter isn't denying that the rapture and the beginning of the day of the Lord comes like a thief. But what he's showing is that the day of the Lord is conceived as a broad period of time. Mm-hmm. It's not just a 24-hour period. So he's affirming just like Paul, just like Jesus, the day of the Lord comes like a thief. There's going to be no warning. It comes suddenly like the days of wrath when they came on Noah, the flood. It was sudden. But when we have the melting of the heavenly bodies and the burning of them up, remember where that occurs in the book of Revelation that's after the white throne judgment. So you see that when God creates the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21. So if you just look at the book of Revelation as far as the timing of it, right. the day of the Lord really begins in Revelation uh, 6 when you have the opening of the, the seal judgments. That's the beginning of the day of the Lord. But then it extends really into all of eternity. Even through the, the millennium. Even through the millennium. But then yeah. we'll still have seed time and harvest in the millennium. Exactly. So what right. the Bible's promising is until that time when God destroys it all, it starts over, yeah. with the new heaven and new earth, there'll be seed time and harvest. No matter what else is going on. And surely life has survived through an awful lot. The Dark Ages, the bubonic plague, the World War II, these uh, socialist, communist leaders who killed 25 million in Russia, however many socialist uh, 
Hitler's National Socialism killed millions and millions. Pol Pot, the Chinese, they killed millions of people. Uh, and that's, but there's still seed time and harvest because God is keeping his part of the promise. So be comforted by these things. We're supposed to be comforted. Let me read to you Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. I, I'm so energized about this because we have children and grandchildren. We don't want to see people growing up with a pagan worldview. Christians need to have a biblical worldview. And if they don't, I don't know how their children or grandchildren will ever have one. So here's the basics. The emergent church denies that history is linear. They mock people like me. I debated them. They mock, they just roll their eyes like, well, what kind of a dumb fool are you? They don't believe anything that says there's a future judgment. It's all going to evolve into paradise. They get this Hegelian synthesis. Here we go. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will continue. And they will all become old like a garment. And like a robe, you will roll them up. And like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not run out. So here is God who is non-contingent, as Eric taught last week. If you weren't here, listen to the sermon. Give you a biblical worldview about the nature of God and his non-contingency. But the, the earth and life on earth is contingent upon God who keeps it all together. And he's the one who ultimately decides, and he promised seed time and harvest. The sun could destroy it all at any time. The sun could grow cold and we would die. Or it could erupt into some kind of supernova and we'd all die. So this is, from a scientific point of view, the sun is more significant than everything else is. Why is planet Earth as it is? Because God made it so that life could live here. And the sun is a big part of that. And that is there so that we could live and raise our children and have seed time and harvest. It's not at all going to go underwater. It's pretty ironic that the people who are telling us this is going to go underwater are building houses right on the ocean. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Obama built a $12 million house right on the ocean. Yeah. They don't believe in global warming is going to flood the earth. They don't buy that. It's just political fodder. If you believe that, would you build on the ocean or would you build on high ground? All right. <laughs> no extra charge for that one. I'm going to, by the way, despite what happened yesterday, I'm going to stay right here. Yesterday, for those listening to tape, we had a blizzard here. Our seed time and harvest has got to wait at least until April and May. <laughs> 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13. 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So history goes on, Genesis 8, and 
God had said to Noah, be multiply, fill the earth. I mean, multiply, fill the earth. Be prosperous, multiply, fill the earth. There'll be seed time and harvest, summer and winter, and it'll go on, but it's heading toward judgment because wickedness is still on the earth. But now God's going to allow it to go on, not wipe it out like he did with the flood. It won't be wiped out until it's wiped out with fire at the very end. But even then, there'll be a new heavens and new earth, which will be filled with righteousness and all of the redeemed from all of those ages, from Noah on, even before Noah, uh, those who believed, will, will populate the new heavens and the new earth. So we look forward to the new order of affairs. We're not oppressed by wickedness. 2 Peter 2 7. 2 Peter 2 7 says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, then he goes on to say he knows how to rescue us. Here's what we need to know for us. During this entire period, all the way back to Genesis 8, after the flood, anyone who lives righteously by faith in Christ or faith in the promises of God, the old covenant looking forward to Christ, will be oppressed because God has chosen to allow the wickedness to go on. We saw in Genesis 8. Don't forget that Genesis 8. It's essential. And so the lament psalms in the, in the Old Testament are showing this worldview. We can lament. That's not a sin. Right? How long? But the main theme in the lament psalms, how long? How long? How long will the wicked prosper? How long will the righteous suffer? How long, O Lord? But in the end, they always said, but I will praise thy name. I look forward to thy promises. Yes. Eric. You know, I was just going to point out, it's a really good passage, Bob. It's 2 Peter 2, 7. God knows how to rescue the godly. Here, you have Lot and his family are being used as an example of those who are saved prior to the wrath that comes. And so all the way through the Bible, the precedent that is set is the righteous are removed and saved then the wrath comes. Amen. So Jesus uses Lot in Luke 17, talking about when the wrath comes, Lot was removed, the wrath came. So it is in the future. The people of God are removed, then the wrath comes. Amen. Look at Noah. Noah and his family are removed for all intents and purposes in the ark, then the wrath came. So when we say that the people of God are going to be removed prior to the wrath coming in the pre-wrath or the pre-tribulation rapture, we have precedent in believing that. We're not just blowing smoke. That's why when it says in Revelation 3.10, because you've kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of trial that comes upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. That's just the precedent that's been set all the way through Scripture. So just wanted to point Amen. that out and see that in that passage too. Amen. And I thought Dr. Schreiner made a, an astute observation where he said this, quote, we must not fall prey to rationalism it either squeezes out divine sovereignty or ignores human responsibility. Both of these must be held in tension. And here the accent falls on what human beings can do to hasten the day of God. Repent. <laughs> okay. See, we preach to humans as people who have decisions that they must make. What we know about the sovereignty of God doesn't slow us down one bit. 
from teaching human responsibility. Yes. Uh, going along with what Eric was saying, that as long as God is doing a, a work, when there's people here, the earth is going to remain. But there does come a point, and we're in Second Peter uh, 3, verse 10, where he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the heaven. And it, boy, my eyes are like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. Yep. And with a roar of the elements will be the destroyed the, with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Yep. So there's a time. I mean, that's ultimate global warming yeah, that, right there. But. That's the end of history. That's the end of history. There's global warming. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be really bad. So we need to have a biblical worldview. Does that mean the climate won't change between now and then? No, the climate always changes, but the earth will be habitable. I'm just saying this. The promise we have is the earth will be habitable. It could be that you have to move to higher ground. It could be that you can move to lower ground because the oceans recede. I don't know. It's probably pretty smart to build on the rock anyhow, right? On, on the higher ground. But the earth will be habitable, and there'll be enough food for people living on the earth. But we're going to have to work, and we're going to have to sweat. We're going to have to use our wits to survive. So let's go to, back to Genesis again. Genesis 9, 1 through 3. Now, I want to put this all in perspective. Um, this will help you. This will help you help your friends. This will help you help your grandchildren, your children, to get a biblical worldview. Genesis 9, 1 through 3. This is after Genesis 8 that we looked at, obviously, about the promise of seed time and harvest. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As a direct command from God. It's reiterated a number of times. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky, and everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are given. Wow. Every moving thing that's alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I have gave the green plant. Now you can eat meat and fish and everything. The earth is to be habitable and Humans will still have dominion over the non-human creation. And we can eat a lot of different things. Some people eat things that I wouldn't even think of eating. But that's part of this liberty. Okay? And it's important that humans can live on the earth and thrive and grow and multiply. What we are learning is flying in the face of the leftist people who are ascending in the media and in politics. They hate every word of this. They absolutely hate it. Because they think humans are a problem and there needs to be less of us. And they think that all the rest of nature is on equal footing with humans. They don't distinguish between created in God's image and not. And they would rather have many, many humans die than for some snail darter 
or whatever. Saw something the other day. I have an uncle who lives out in Santa Barbara, and he's telling about this. They wouldn't let them have water to grow their almonds out there in California, where he's from. He was complaining about how horrible the leadership is in that state, but they were worried about some little creature that lived out at the end of some stream going into the ocean, so they couldn't have water to water their almond trees. And uh, because why? Because the little creature's important, the humans aren't. Forget the humans, forget living. Well, then I saw another thing the other day. Out in California, with all these people using the street as their toilet, they go to these extremes to stop anybody from doing anything that goes into a stream that might harm anything, which I'm, I want clean water. I'm a fisherman, okay? But all this human waste is being flushed right in there and destroying all kinds of life and making the river a polluted cesspool heading into the ocean, and they won't do one thing about it. They're Marxists, the haves and have-nots, and the people on the street polluting the river are have-nots, so they get to do whatever they want, and it all goes right down the stream. But the almond growers are the haves. They don't get any water. I want you to see the practical implications of paganism and how they see life. Humans are evil, unless they're really bad off, then they're have-nots, then they're good. Nature is good, humans are evil. The Bible says just the opposite. There it is. I challenge anybody who hears this, are you going to have a biblical worldview, or are you going to think like the pagans? Does this mean we pollute? No. Not at all. My dad was a farmer in Iowa, and he was cutting edge as far as how he handled crops and stuff. I was shocked to read it in southern Minnesota. There's still fall plowing. My dad gave that up in the mid '60s, and um, left the all the bean stubble and the corn stalk and everything sitting out there all winter, so that so that if we had a dry winter, the topsoil wouldn't blow away. And he took his chance that he'd be able to get his crop in in the spring, because he still had to. And I was helped him. I went out and plowed. Well, there are still people who plow it all because they want the black dirt to absorb heat to dry out sooner in the spring. I didn't know anybody still did that. We should use good conservation, but good conservation is going to further the idea of springtime and harvest and people living on the earth. But you have to distinguish between people created in God's image and beasts that are not which some people won't do, like in India, for example. So the fish of the sea, into your hand, they are given. And I'll, he reiterates this in verse, let me start reading in verse 7. So, emphasis here. Verse 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Verse 7, Genesis 9. As for you, be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth abundantly. And multiply in it. How many of you heard these enviro nuts going ballistic because humans are populating the earth? I saw some in a debate saying we've got to spread abortion and uh, all around. There, there's all these poor people in these countries. They shouldn't be having babies. It's really, frankly, racist. 
We don't want the earth populated. Why? Because they hate God and they hate what it says in the Bible. But it's emphasized. Abundantly populated. Lots of people. Salt, that's good. It's not bad. But why would it be that way? Because it would be hard to feed everybody. God spoke to Noah and his son saying, Now behold, I myself establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So God, I myself, that's a Intensive, right? God can speak by no higher. He can swear by none greater than himself. So he swore by himself, saying, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants. And then with every living creature on the earth, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, all that comes out of the ark, even the beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. And all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. There will never be again a flood to destroy the earth. And then he gave the sign of the rainbow. Dear ones, the earth is not going to be destroyed by a flood. God swore by himself. And God himself said that we'll have seed time and harvest. God himself said, fill the earth. God said, we'll have enough to eat. But we're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to sweat. We're going to have to pull out the thistles. We're going to have to learn how to do it. But we can do it. We can live, yes. See, Bob, would you comment? You've read that book, Nazi Oaks. I think it's called Nazi Ecology now. And uh, could you just comment, uh, you've read it, how the Nazis, the backdrop of their worldview was antithetical to Genesis 1 through 9. That's what really angered them. They were environmentalists. Exactly. Uh, Mark Musser wrote a book. People don't know this. Hitler was a big environmentalist. And his wars of conquest were there... He also believed in social evolution. So he wanted more green space for the Volk, the Germanic people. And so then he wanted more and more and more land to push all these non-desirable races out so that the Volkish people could flourish in a green earth. It seems ironic that a guy who scorched the earth wanted a green earth. Read the book Nazi Ecology by Mark Musser. And he cites primary sources, including Heidegger, uh, Hitler's philosopher, and Hitler himself over and over again. And he was a greenie, Hitler. He was a neo-pagan nature worshiper. And he saw humans as a problem. So as many of them as we can kill, then we'll have a nice green space for the elite. That idea is still alive. And Hitler was not a capitalist. He was in charge of a country that was under national socialism. Get a clue. I I mean, honestly, I see what's in the paper and what they're talking about. People are so deceived, and they don't study, and they don't learn. And they don't know what they're being fed. Who's the Nazi? Well... The Enviro people, yes. Yeah, Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was a racist. She wanted to murder as many black yep. babies as she possibly could. Right. That's why Planned Parenthood is all in the big cities. And you got Hillary Clinton, who is singing the praises of Sanger. Yeah, I, Sing- I know. Read the book Nazi Ecology by Mark Musser, and you'll understand where all this comes from. See, it goes back to German idealism of the 18th century, where they believed in 
uh, Hegel's idea of everything evolving and all the streams turning into one and inevitable progress, idealism, romanticism, and somehow this uh, heavenly-like world for the elite, which would be the Volk, the Germanic people. Yes. I was just going to mention in the early 80s, when I was living in the Pacific Northwest, I witnessed this pretty dramatically with the spotted owl controversy. It wasn't probably as big here in the Midwest, but the spotted owl was deemed to be a protective species, and I I witnessed thousands of small family-owned sawmills close through Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, thousands of people. It took an industry to its knees, and the elite and the big conglomerates came in and bought up the lands and the forests, and they, yeah. it, it was devastating. So, there's, the t- there's worldviews, thank you. Worldviews have consequences. And I'm, since the Lord has given me a voice and a chance to be alive on the earth, because I'm supposed to be dead, as some of you know, didn't work out that way, I want to build a biblical worldview. And it's essential that we get a biblical worldview. Let the Bible inform how we see it. Now, I need to make sure we don't miss this one. Why would God want the earth to be populated with people? Why did he say this to Noah and his sons? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you every green thing, every bird, every fish, every beast. It's yours. And I'm going to give you seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, you're going to have a habitable earth, and your job is to populate it. Can you imagine the Margaret Sangers of the world going nuts if they heard what I'm saying? Yeah. Planned Parenthood would go nuts. Don't, what are you doing talking like this? But that's what we're doing. Why? I'm going to give you the why. We can't miss this today. Why? Because God is building an eternal kingdom and he has decreed that he's going to choose people from every tribe, every tongue, and every corner of the earth to come to faith in him and populate that kingdom. Amen. Then in eternity, every tongue will confess, and there'll be a cacophony of praises going up to God from all the different peoples. And we know that when we just meet anybody anywhere that knows Christ, we're immediately a brother or a sister. Let's look at it, Acts 247b. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every time a person saved, somebody's added to the population of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And that happens throughout history, especially under the new covenant as it goes forth. Acts 247. They were added as they were being saved. Acts 13:48b. So we're bringing this back to Acts here, which, by the way, the next time I teach, I'll be back in Acts. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And notice, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. We don't know the eternal counsel of God as far as whose name's in the book. But there are still people out there in different tribes and tongues and places on the earth Many are not yet born, unless the rapture happens right away, were appointed to eternal life. 
and the word of God gets out to all of them. Acts 18.10 For I'm with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. This was said to Paul. For I have many people in this city. They hadn't even gone there and preached yet. But God said, I have many people in the city. I want you to go here to the apostle. God has many people all over the world. Some of them haven't believed yet. Some have been born in the last 10, 20 years and they're they can hear, they can learn, they can come to Christ. God will send uh, somebody clear on a journey to just find the Ethiopian eunuch. So one guy comes to faith. One person here, one person there, one person somewhere else. Fill the whole earth. We might say, why would God fill the whole earth? Create all this pollution. That's how they see it. Just so a few people can be saved here and there. Because that's his intent. That he, to the praise of his glory, Ephesians chapter 1. He's also got a number in mind, and we don't know, we don't know if what that number will be met next week or in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. So, you know. We, yeah, we don't know. We don't, we don't know how long history will go. I keep thinking I, I'm getting a hint, and then I'm wrong. Remember the 80s European Union? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be Antichrist kingdom. It's going to be the rapture right away. Don't write a book. Yeah, don't write a book. <laughs> well, what happened? Well, that didn't happen. Now that's falling apart, and they got Brexit. and We don't know. We don't know. Okay, let's look at what's going on. Luke 14, I know I'm... Luke Acts is actually a two-volume work by one author. Luke 14, 21 to 23. And the slave came back and reported to his master, remember... The people were offended by, by the people who were supposed to come didn't want to come. And they're offended by who does come in this big banquet. And so Jesus is teaching a lesson. And the slave came back and reported to his master. This is a parable. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the highway and bring in here the poor, the crippled, and blind and lame. Now, these would be people with no status in their honor-shame society. Shameful people. Nothing going for them. Somebody you don't bring to the queen's ball. All right? And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done. There still is room. There's still room in the banquet hall for the very supper of the lamb and then the eternal order of affairs. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges, and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Life is going on. The earth is being filled with people. We have seed time harvest, enough food for everybody. We've got plants growing very nicely. And the end is that God's house might be fulfilled with whoever would come. The blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor, the ne'er-do-wells, people from the wrong tribe, people with nothing going for them, a few here, a few there, even a few noble. Remember Paul said, consider your calling. Not many wise, not many noble, but some. Maybe here and there a king or a person with a lot of money, but otherwise, whoever, that my house may be filled. That's God's purpose. That's why this is going on. That's why we have history. I'm not worried 
because I know that God's going to keep providing for the earth to bear land and fruit and life because this is still going on. The rapture hasn't happened. And then we're going to end with this one. Here's what it's all headed for. So we started Genesis. Now we're going to look at Isaiah. Isaiah 25, 6, 8, and 9. Hallelujah. This, if this isn't good news, well, you know it's good news, all right? I don't have to uh, struggle to get you to believe this is good news. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples. Notice who is going to be there. All peoples. That reminds us of the command of Noah. Multiply and fill the earth. All peoples. All peoples. A lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. Banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. This would be the best of the best that only the kings could ever afford. Poor people couldn't have these kind of things. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord, or Yahweh, for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So during the entire time from Genesis to the final end that we read about in Second Peter, and Eric talked about in Revelation, during the time, let's just talk about the flood, between the flood, when the earth was judged by water, and the final conflagration where it's judged by fire, in between, the earth is being filled with peoples. And God has chosen to save some representative peoples from all over the earth to do this. That's how he's chosen to do it. And I think the best thing is to have a doxology. Hallelujah. May God be glorified. Yes, uh, Brian. What's the term that you taught us? Is it, is it mishta? Mishta. Yeah. Yeah. Kind so of this is the ultimate Mishta, and we see all through a uh, history uh, small uh, uh, forward uh, uh, pictures yeah. of uh, uh, mini Mishtas, if you will. <coughs> and uh, here we get to the uh, ultimate Mishta. Yeah, I wrote an article about that. Anyhow, exactly. Now, this is the final one. And there, there'll be then the new heavens and the new earth. However, God runs that. We'll participate if we're part. So He's adding people to it. That's why history's going on. We don't know how long it'll go on, but the whole time, God is glorified when people are added to that bunch. So we should be preaching the gospel to all peoples. Yes, Peter. So, Bob, um, for those that haven't heard that term, Mishta, could you explain that, please? That's a Messianic banquet or a, a feast that would be put on uh, in order to rejoice. And really, the Lord's Supper is a Mishta. 
And according to the article I wrote, it's in CICMinistry.org. If you go all the way through the Bible, every time one of these is put on, some people are saved and some are judged. Uh, the, the Last Supper was a mishta. And what happened? The disciples were saved, but Judah was ju- Judas was judged. So it has to do a little bit with the great reversal? It's a, yeah, it's a messianic banquet. It's a big banquet. But it goes all the way through the Old Testament. Esther was one. Remember? Uh, Mordecai and uh, Haman. Haman. Haman was full of pride. He thought, oh, the banquet's got to be for me. Who's more important than me? Yeah, let's have a banquet. What happened to Haman? They hung him on Mordecai's gallows. And Mordecai was exalted. So it's going to be an unexpected reversal. So be assured, history will go on until the things happen that God predicted. The earth is being filled with people. There'll be enough food for everybody, despite droughts and famines here and there. We've got to keep feeding people. And we need to preach the gospel so we can populate the kingdom with souls. I'm just going to mention the article. The title of the article that Bob wrote is called Dining with the King. It's uh, one of my favorites. Dining with the King. Yeah, Dining with the King. It's on CICMinistry.org. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share with you an overview of history. Got time for one more right over here. Marsha wants to say something. I'm just wondering, is that the same thing as the wedding supper of the Lamb? The, the wedding supper of the Lamb will be only the redeemed, but the Amishas now are looking forward to that. I talk about that in my article. But I mean the one in Isaiah. I think, well, I don't know that... Because uh, that one sounds like it's on earth, and my impression was the wedding supper of the Lamb is in heaven. Uh, it is. And I don't know the, how many feasts we're going to have in the new heavens and the new earth. Yes. <laughs> but we know how we get in there by believing the gospel. Go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Come in and feast with the king. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord for your kindness and goodness and for your wonderful promises and may we have our minds shaped to believe according to what you've said in your Bible and Lord bless Eric as he preaches to us this morning in Jesus name, amen.